Welcome to the AM Global Podcast Series, addressing business concerns we face today. Today's conversation is with leaders in Alvarez and Marcel Healthcare Industry Group's compliance and regulatory services. In this podcast, Peter Urbanowitz, Colleen Curran, and Mary Finley discuss the rules on how healthcare providers can spend the grant monies they receive under the CARES Act and how those grant monies will have to be accounted for in future federal audits. We're delighted you've joined us for this special podcast focused on the CARES Act grants, how healthcare providers can lawfully spend grant funds. I'm Peter Banowitz. I co-lead the healthcare industry group at Alvarez and Marcel. I'm joined today by two members of our compliance and regulatory section, Colleen Curran, a managing director, and Mary Finley, the senior director. Colleen and Mary will help me as we share some perspectives on the rules around how healthcare providers can spend CARES Act grant monies and how those grant dollars will have to be accounted for in future federal audits. Let me frame our compliance discussion by recapping the CARES Act. To respond to the coronavirus pandemic, Congress has passed three major pieces of legislation, including the $2 trillion Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, or the CARES Act. The CARES Act created a provider relief fund to reimburse healthcare providers for lost revenues and increased expenses due to the coronavirus pandemic. $175 billion was appropriated by Congress for the Provider Relief Fund, and to date, HHS has paid out or designated for payout over $100 billion. When an agency like HHS is granted authority to distribute congressionally appropriated funds, the agency must strictly adhere to the requirements of the appropriation. Article 1, Section 9 of the Constitution, the Spending Clause, is Appropriations 101, if you will. The executive branch can only spend money in the way that Congress authorizes them to spend money. If Congress has put restrictions on a particular appropriation, the agency can't change or modify the restriction placed on the funds. So all grants that are being made by HHS under the CARES Act have to abide by these appropriations restrictions. If HHS permitted recipients to spend money in some other way than that mandated by Congress, HHS might be in jeopardy of violating the law itself, including the Anti-Deficiency Act. The CARES Act also requires HHS to have significant anti-fraud monitoring of the funds, and the HHS Office of Inspector General is required to ensure that all CARES Act dollars are used appropriately. In fact, over $100 million was allocated to the OIG for enforcement activities under the CARES Act. So let me start here with Colleen Curran. Colleen, if you are a healthcare provider and have been given a provider relief fund grant, how can you spend it? Sure, Peter. Thank you. The CARES Act appropriation specified that HHS could use these appropriated funds to, and I'm going to quote, to prevent, prepare for, and respond to coronavirus. And HHS can make grants to eligible healthcare providers for, and I quote, healthcare-related expenses or lost revenues that are attributable to coronavirus. So the appropriation is very clear that it relates to losses and expenses related to the coronavirus. 
In addition, the CARES Act appropriation language provides that funds cannot be used to reimburse expenses or losses that have been reimbursed from other sources. So they also made it extremely clear that there could be no double dipping within the CARES Act grant itself. But this phrase, healthcare-related expenses, that's pretty broad. There's a lot of things I could spend money on where I can say, can I? Well, this was related to coronavirus and our patients in the hospital or patients who came to the clinic. Um, it's pretty broad. Can you tell us more about how this term is actually defined? Yeah, that's so true. Healthcare-related expenses that are attributable to coronavirus covers really a range of items and services. And both the CARES Act appropriation language and HHS has provided guidance that outlines what might be an appropriate expense. So expenses such as supplies or equipment that are used to provide healthcare services for possible or actual COVID-19 patients would potentially qualify. Training your workforce, those are also expenses that would, would actually qualify. Um, developing and staffing emergency operations centers have been noted. Reporting COVID-19 test results to both federal, state, or local governments. Building or construction of temporary structures to expand capacity for COVID patient care or to provide healthcare services to non-COVID-19 patients in a separate area from where the COVID-19 patients are being treated have also been um, identified. Some other additional resources and things that can be considered include facilities, equipment, supplies, even healthcare practices and staffing, and technology um, to expand or preserve care delivery have also been noted by HHS and in their guidance as potential acceptable uses of those funds. Colleen, a lot of most of this money uh, went out in April, some in May. Some of this money is still coming out. What if I was a provider and I incurred expenses before I received my money? Say I had expenses that went back to February or March before I got any money. Or let's say I'm going, I, I have some expenses, but I think I'm going to have more expenses in August or September or October if there's a second wave. What kind of limitations are there or the expenditures on what time period I incurred the expense? That's a great question, Peter. And I will tell you, HHS has really said that healthcare-related expenses um, and can be incurred on any date, so long as those expenses were actually attributable to the coronavirus and were used to prevent, prepare for, and respond to the coronavirus. So really that consistent theme that's coming through from the appropriation itself. HHS did give us some guidance, though, with respect to timing and basically said that it would really be highly unusual for a provider to have incurred eligible expenses prior to January 1st of 2020. So that guardrail really that they're giving us is from January 1st, 2020, kind of going forward so far as an indicator. So, you know, coronavirus expenses, you can certainly see what those are, and those are appropriate uh, under the Act to spend monies there. The other area that you can receive money for is for lost revenues that are attributable to coronavirus. 
Again, that's a pretty loose term, lost revenues. How does HHS define that, or how is HHS thinking about that, and how should healthcare providers be thinking about lost revenues? Yeah, that term, any revenue that you as a healthcare provider lost due to coronavirus is really how they've been describing it. So they keep it very broad. The emphasis really is on that it has to be a lost revenue that's actually attributable to the coronavirus. So it's really going to be important for providers to be able to demonstrate that lost revenues are actually attributable to coronavirus. Um, And this may include revenue losses associated with things like fewer outpatient visits, if you had to cancel your elective procedures or services that many of all had to do, or shifts in payer mix, such as increases in uncompensated care. All of those things can actually be considered in your lost revenue assessment. So let's, for example, let's say I'm I'm a healthcare provider, I'm a hospital, and I know that I had lost revenues of $10 million in April. And I'll receive, let's say I receive an amount around that $10 million in grant monies. What can I do with that? How can I I, uh, use that money to cover lost revenues? Where can I actually spend the money? So providers can use those provider relief fund payments to cover any cost that the lost revenue otherwise would have covered, so long as it's used to prevent, prepare for, and respond to coronavirus. So lost revenues do not need to be specific to providing care for possible or actual COVID patients. But as I keep stressing, that lost revenue must have been lost due to coronavirus. If a provider is experiencing losses for reasons unrelated to the coronavirus, and we've had some clients who've had that situation, it's really going to be important to demonstrate that provider relief fund payments were not utilized to cover those losses. HHS really encourages that the funds be used so that providers can effectively respond to the public health emergency by maintaining their delivery capacity. So that's really the light that we should be looking at this in. And and what would that include? So really, um, HHS indicated that the funds can be used to cover things like payroll, health benefits, rent and mortgage payments, equipment lease payments. You could do licensing fees, especially if you're doing things like electronic health records. So they keep it very, very broad in terms of what could be included in maintaining your delivery capacity. Thank you. Uh, So Mary Findlay, a lot of providers have had a significant revenue loss in March and April of this year, continuing into May. But what if I am a provider and I experienced some loss in March and April but my losses were less than the grant that I was given. I was given more money than the losses I actually received. Must all of my eligible expenses and losses be higher than the provider relief fund payment at the time I received these funds? No, and actually HHS has given guidance that at that time when you receive the funds and and you accept them, the, the providers do not need to be able to prove that prior and or future loss revenues and increased expenses are enough to justify the provider relief fund payment. HHS does expect that providers will only use provider relief fund payments for permissible purposes, though. And so if at the conclusion of the pandemic, 
providers have left over provider relief fund money they can't that they can't use for permissible expenses or losses, then they'll have to return that money to HHS. So, Mary, we know that the OIG is going to be conducting audits to ensure that providers have used provider relief fund payments appropriately. So I'm a provider. What measures should I be taking now? Uh, and what should I be putting in place now to ensure that funds are being spent appropriately? Let, let's start with this thing that Colleen defined earlier, healthcare-related expenses. Sure. And as Colleen said, that's a broad category, and there are a list of things that, that HHS has said would be acceptable expenses. So it's important for providers to carefully gather and track healthcare-related expenses that are attributable to coronavirus. We think there are several things providers should do, like establish general ledger accounts for each major type of COVID-19-related expense, or create COVID-19-specific expense accounts and define what should be coded to these accounts. They may even want to institute review and approval processes for expenditures that will be categorized as COVID-19 expenses so that it puts a little more control around what expenditures are considered attributable to the coronavirus. So, Mary, it's, it's easier for me, maybe, to document an expense. I paid overtime for my nurses who were caring for coronavirus patients. I had to purchase extra PPE, extra masks, extra gowns, extra shields and equipment. And I, I typically have invoices for that. I pay vendors. And so I've got some pretty good documentation there. But this lost revenue concept, how can I document that? I know how much my revenues were last year. I know what I made in March and April. I know it was less than last year. Is that what my lost revenue is, what I would have made last year or what I budgeted? How do I document my lost revenues? First and foremost, as Colleen stressed, the lost revenues must have been due to coronavirus. So when you're determining your lost revenues, it's very important to document the rationale for why it's related to coronavirus. And Colleen gave a few of those examples, you know, like fewer outpatient visits. You know, my clinic had to close because we weren't allowed to come into the office or we had to cancel elective procedures or services. So it's important to document that for, for your calculated lost revenues. And then important to develop narratives to support the assumptions that you make and the methods for calculating lost revenues. So like you said, you know, what last year's revenues or losses were compared to this year, or you have a budget for this year and you can compare that to what your actual performance is. But it's important for you to, to document how and what you use to calculate the lost revenues. And then once those lost revenues are calculated, providers should keep a detailed schedule that accounts for and documents the transfers of those amounts to demonstrate that they are used appropriately toward the coronavirus. So, Mary, what other things should organizations be doing now to prepare for these anticipated OIG audits, especially since an audit might not occur until next year? What should I be doing this year? Well, you really should start preparing now to ensure that you're in the best position to demonstrate the appropriate use of your funds. Some of these measures that we've just discussed are important to do now so that you're not doing it on the back end when you can't really remember or have the documentation that would best support the appropriate use of the funds. 
We also recommend that organizations develop and implement policies and procedures that address the appropriate use of provider release fund payments. And as with any important initiative, you need to communicate those policies and procedures and provide training to the applicable staff on on the requirements. You should also document the steps you've taken to train staff, including staff participation. And then finally, and probably one of the most important things, is to develop and conduct internal monitoring yourselves to ensure that the funds are being documented and utilized appropriately. We really believe proactive monitoring will give you a good sense of any potential issues before the government signs them for you. And also, these monitoring activities can help an organization identify areas that may need corrective actions, including more targeted education. So, Mary, if you're a healthcare provider and you've received this money, and in some cases, it could be in the tens of millions of dollars for some larger uh, healthcare providers, is there a risk that you're going to have to repay this money? or have this money taken back? Uh, There certainly is. Uh, There are affirmative requirements for you as a provider to return the money to HHS if you can't spend the money as it's intended. For example, you have no coronavirus-related expenses or no coronavirus-related losses. Also, if upon audit, the OIG determines you didn't spend the grant money in the manner permitted by the CARES Act, they could require you to repay the money. Colleen Curran and Mary Finley. Thank you for these insights. As you can see, there are a lot of things to consider when spending provider relief fund dollars and steps that you can take now to have the proper accounting documentation laid out for future OIG audits. Let me close by thanking you for joining us for this podcast on CARES Act compliance. For additional information about the CARES Act, you can visit our website at www.alvarezandmarcel.com. Alvarez and Marcel. Leadership. Action. Results.